I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. Uh, the last two podcasts, I've been talking about Arabian Nights, but I'm not done yet, so I will continue. So last I left, where were we? We were in, um, I just talked about Jeweled Bird. So today I'm going to talk about Jihad. So Jihad is an enchantment for white, 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 so three white mana. Um, so when you, it comes into play, you choose a color, and as long as your opponent has a card of that color in play, all white creatures, not just yours, but all white creatures get plus two, plus one. But if your opponent ever doesn't have that color in play, you sacrifice this card. Um, so this was a powerful card. Um, it definitely was... White, ever since, I mean, Alpha White had Crusade and definitely was doing weenie pumping. Um, this was a little bit more aggressive, and Richard was playing around a, a bit more with the idea of caring about what your opponent had in play. The main thing about Jihad was, because you could choose the color, you know, your opponent was playing something usually, so you could pick the color they were playing. But it gave your opponent out if somehow they could get rid of the cards. You know, there, there, there was a, a possible avenue for them to sort of somehow get rid of the Jihad. Next, Junin, Af- uh, Junin Afrit. So Junin Afrit uh, is a one black, black, three mana, uh, uh, Afrit, a three, three flying Afrit, and you must play black, black during your upkeep, or it is destroyed, and it, it cannot be regenerated. Um, so basically this was, um, the, I think the way it worked was um, there were Jins and Afrits. Um, I'm not sure. Some Jins fly, some Afrits fly, but not all flied. Um, and the, the junior obviously flies. Um, it's one of those things, again, where um, Richard was definitely messing around with... Early magic had a lot more drawbacks. That was something that was more prevalent early on. I think that just came from flavor. I think the idea that, um, you know, the, the, the idea was the Jins and Freets, uh, based on, you know, the, the source material, they would serve you, but, you know, they, they weren't always on your side. That, you know, they were serving you kind of somewhat against your will, and so there's always a cost to be paid. So Junior Free just had an upkeep cost. You had to play Black Black, um, or it would go away. Followed by Juzem Jin. So possibly the most famous card from Arabian Nights. Uh, it's definitely one of the most iconic. It was one of the... I mean, there are other cards that clearly uh, are super iconic, like, like um, City of Brass or Bazaar Baghdad, but Juzem Jin was probably in its day the most iconic. I mean, maybe... Maybe with history, uh, creatures have gotten better. Like, there's a period of time where four mana for five... Oh, so it's two BB, uh, four mana, for a five-five creature, and it does one damage to you during your upkeep. Um, there's a point in time where that was really good. Getting five-five for four mana, even at the cost of a damage a turn, was just considered... It was really good. Um, more says how bad creatures were than anything else. I mean, nowadays... Um, you can get four mana, five-five with upside. So it's clearly, we, we've made creatures better over the time. Um, but I, this, this was a super iconic card. Um, I know the, uh, the Duelist, for example, uh, did a series of ads where we took famous Jins and Afrits and had them, like, reading the Duelist. It was a very fun one with the Juzem Jin. He's holding this little guy, and the little guy's reading the Duelist. Um, but Juzem Jin, uh, illustrated by Mark Tadine. Anyway, one of the more iconic sort of, uh, definitely a very evocative piece, especially from the set, uh, Cabal Ghoul. So Cabal Ghoul costs one black mana for a 1-1 creature, and at the end of each turn, uh, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it for each other creature that has died. So this is the first card, I think, that did this. Um, it's something we do a lot more 
a death trigger. If something gets bigger, as other things die. It's a black ability. Um, and this is the first one that did it. Like, one of the neat things about looking at old sets is you'll see things that just become things that be- become regular things that Magic do, except this was the first one. Um, I know I took a film class, a whole bunch of film classes. I, I went to film school. And you would, sometimes you would watch a movie in film school, and it would seem kind of boring. Um, I remember we watched, uh, I think, The Great Train Robbery. And it, lo- it looks almost cartoonish by modern standards. Um, and then the teacher's like, okay, see this thing? where they're in one place, and they cut, and now they're in another place, and they cut back, and they go back and forth between two places, and you believe that it's happening concurrently? Yeah, well, this film did that for the first time. You know, we're so used to sort of uh, film iconography that we don't even think about it. Like, that's just the way film works. But somebody had to do it for the first time. And Arabian Nights has a lot of that quality. That's like, somebody had to do this for the first time, and maybe... You know, when you see it, it doesn't seem that remarkable because you're so used to seeing it. But, but the first time you do it, when no one had done it before and you came up with it, that, that's pretty cool. Okay, next is King Soulmane, who p- clearly had a bottle. Uh, one in a white for a 1-1 creature, and you can tap him to destroy a djinn or a freet. So one of the things that white did a little more early on, you saw this like with Northern Paladin stuff, is white was a little more proactive about killing things. In general, by the way, early magic was more proactive about killing things. One of the problems with creatures early on was not just that they were weak, but man, oh man, there were tons of ways to kill creatures. And, and they were very efficient. So one of the things that's happened over the, over the years is, A, we've made creatures better, and B, we have made killing creatures not quite as easy, and we have made it harder. Not every color can just easily kill creatures, you know. Um, white... White clearly has a sense of it goes after things it considers are evil, but usually you kind of have to do something before white can act. You know, it's like, I joke, white's like the Federation. Like, you got to kind of strike first. Like, once you, once you endanger white or hit white or do something, okay, white can do something about it. You get in combat, white can do something about it. But if you kind of just sit there and don't actually attack, white has more problem dealing with it. Um, but King Suleiman, uh just playing into the theme of the Jins and the Freets. In fact, I think the way it worked is... I don't know if there were, I don't think there were white gins in the freets, now that I think about it. Um, there were blue gins in the freets, there were green gins in the freets, there were black gins in the freets, there were red gins in the freets. Uh, but white, white did not have, I don't think white had gins in the freets. It just had a guy who was good at killing them. Because I guess white was, I guess white just didn't go down for the gin in the freet thing. Okay, next, another very iconic card Curd Ape. So, Curd Ape uh, costs one red mana for a 1 1 creature. But it gets plus one, plus two if you have any forests. So Alpha had um, had um, uh, Taiga. Taiga was a uh, dual land that was both a mountain and a forest. So if you played turn one Taiga and played a Kurt Ape, uh, it immediately was a 2-3. Um, and so this was, uh, in, in early weenie decks, this was considered very viable. In fact, a lot of early weenie decks played red-green because of the fact that Kurt Ape existed. Or, or they played... I should say, not that they played red-green, but they played Taiga. Um, Chris Curry, uh, Mono Red usually has always had um, some ability to be quick and fast, and uh, the Curdape definitely played into that. Okay, now we come to what is probably the most powerful card in the set, which is impressive because there's some powerful cards here. Library of Alexandra. Okay, first off, it taps one colorless mana. And the second is, you may tap it... Um, if you have exactly seven cards, you may draw a card. So the idea is, if your hand is full, 
then you can get an additional card. So the way this, this card plays out is um, if you can keep a handful of cards, uh, instead of drawing one card a turn, you can draw two cards a turn. And the limitation is just you have to be careful not to play them too fastly to keep your hand full. Um, but the fact that you were drawing uh, two cards a turn, I mean, you, you can play two spells a turn. Um, so, I mean, it's the, the restriction of keeping your hand full is not that big a restriction. Okay, I can only play two spells a turn. Uh, and that's prov- not assuming that maybe I have card drawing or something to fill my hand back up. Um, so, Library of Xandra, it's famous for all sorts of things. Probably the most famous thing is um, in the very first World Championship, it was um, Bertrand Lestrade from France playing Zach Dolan from the United States. And Zach Dolan was playing... Well, Bertrand was playing a red-green uh, sort of a beat-down deck, making use of Curdave, obviously. Uh, and um, uh, Zach was playing a little more of a control-ish deck. Uh, but anyway, the thing that... When I talked to Bertrand, uh, it was, the finals was best two out of three. And Bertrand said, basically, every game he drew the Library of Alexandria, I knew I was going to lose. Um, because it just allowed him to get enough resources. I mean, a lot of a beatdown deck is trying to beat them before they get the answers. Well, if you have the means to draw cards and get the answers, then you can withstand the, uh, the onslaught and survive. Um, and so that is what happened. So every game in the finals of the First World Championship that Zach drew um, Library of Alexandria, he won. And the one game he did not, he did not. Um, I believe also one game he... Not only did he draw Lever Alexander, but he also drew um, Ivory Tower, which together is a potent combo. Ivory Tower uh, gains you life based on how many cards you have, and so it's very powerful with something that keeps your hand constantly full. Okay, next, Magnetic Mountain. One red red. Uh, it is an enchantment, and it says, Blue creatures do not untap as normal. Um, and then during the untap phase, players need to spend... Uh, Oh, they got to spend mana. So basically, it locks down uh, blue creatures, and they have to send mana to untap them. Um, this so early magic definitely had a lot of color hosers. Something that Richard did a lot of. Richard was tr- Richard was trying very hard early on in magic to define uh, the relationship between the colors. So, for example, Curdate shows red is friendly with green, where Magic Mountain shows that red is unfriendly with blue. And so, there's a lot of different. Um, uh, stuff in early magic. We've since dialed down a little bit on the color hosers um, just because um, they at a, at a low level they're fine and they make interesting sideboard cards but at too high a level they just can negate strategies at times and there definitely is some period in the past where our color hosers were a bit brutal where it's sort of like oh well, if I draw my color hoser in my, you know, from my sideboard you, know, you, you don't have a lot of answers to it. You know, I'm going to destroy all green creatures for not a lot of mana or I'm going to you know, karma or gloom, right? There's a lot of very, very, uh, boil. There's a lot of very, very powerful color hoses in early magic. Okay, next, Merchant Ship. Merchant Ship was a zero to a creature for blue, single blue mana. Um, and if it attacks and it was not blocked, you gain two life. Um, and remember, uh, it had island home, so you had to have island for it to attack and, and uh, for it to survive. Um, this is another one where. I think early magic, Richard was trying real hard to sort of capture the, the philosophy, like the idea of a merchant ship that traveled on the waters felt very blue because blue was about waters. And the idea that you gain life because it was bringing necessary supplies and things made sense. But blue, gaining life, a little inconsistent. Um, I think Richard early on tended to err toward the overall card felt philosophically in the right place 
and worried less about the mechanics. Uh, I, I think what has happened with, with, with time as we refine the color pie is realize that um, Richard was a little more willing early in Magic to put more mechanical stuff in more spaces, and a lot of the energy we, we've spent is figuring out where exactly things are supposed to go so that the, the mechanics sort of reinforce the, the philosophy as much as they can. Okay, next is Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a green, uh, the green card, a green sorcery, costs a single green. You sacrifice a creature of yours in play and put that amount of mana equal to its casting cost plus one. Uh, and it can be of any color. So the idea of this is I take a creature, so let's say I have a, um, I don't know, a Juzam Jin, so two black black. I sacrifice it. Uh, instead of getting four mana, I get five mana because I get one extra. And then it can be whatever color I want. Is it, all, is it all one color? Yeah. So it has to be a single color, but it can be whatever color I want. Um, and then I only can use that mana to cast creatures. So the flavor here was that you were changing one creature into another creature. Um, so something that's happened over time is we've made the divide of green metamorph- can metamorphize its own things, that its own things can sort of turn into other things, but that blue is the color that, cha- that polymorphs, that turns your opponent's things into other things. Uh, but anyway, this is early, uh, early green, sort of trying to find different ways. Um, later on, we do a lot of different ways to sort of turn one creature into another, but th- this was one way. Next, Mije Jin. Red, red, red for a Jin, for a 6-3 Jin. Um, if, you sh- if you want to attack with it, you have to flip a coin, um, and if you win, you're fine, but if you lose, it doesn't attack. So the idea is, in order to attack... So the Mije Jin is 6-3, and Idwin Afrit is 3-6. The 6-3, you have to flip a coin to attack, and the 3-6, you have to flip a coin to block. So not only, by the way, so Mije Jin and uh, Idwin Afrit are the two red Jins and Afrits, but, for behind the scenes, um, Richard had friends named Jamie and Wendy, who, if I remember correctly, had recently got married, I think? But anyway, he wanted a little nod toward his friends, and so he made uh, the red Jin and Freak ad named after them. So Mije, M-I-J-A-E, is an anagram for Jamie, and Idwin, Y-D-W-E-N, is an anagram for Wendy. So Mije and Idwin are Jamie and Wendy, two friends of Richard's. Okay, next, Moorish Calvary. So Moorish Calvary is two white-white for 3-3, three, three, and it has trample. Um, so this was just a... Uh, once again, uh, trample no longer is something that white uses a lot, especially now in things as small as a 3 3. Um, but he was trying, like, the idea of the army that rides through the desert. Okay, flavorfully, that makes a lot of sense in white. Um, and he was trying to match what that did, so he, he made a 3 3 trample. So the interesting thing about this card is this card is identical to War Mammoth in um, Alpha, except instead of 3 and a green, which is what it costs, it costs 2 white white. So when you move from green to white, it costs a little bit more to get that a little more color saturation, you know, a little more color than it did originally. Next is Mountain. I've talked about Mountain already, but, well, one more time. Um, so Mountain is the only repeat card in the set, uh, the only basic land in the set, um, and it is, it was there as a mistake. Um, the thing that was interesting about it was that there weren't a lot of them. There, I think there was only one Mountain on the sheet because it wasn't meant to be there, so it was a mistake. So there, it was a C1. So on the common sheet, there was one mountain, which meant you didn't get it all that often. Uh, and then it became a status symbol for players sometimes, to pl- if they were playing with red, to play with Arabian Night Mountains. It's one of the earliest blings, if you will, of, 
I'm able to get, you know, because the Raven Knight Mountains were not easy to get. The funny thing early on was people would play with them because they were sort of a status symbol, but if your opponent played sitting in a bottle at the top, it destroyed them. So if you played for style points, um, Arabian Nights Mountains, they, not all mountains, only they died to sitting in bottle. So if you were trying to go for style points, every once in a while you would get hosed by your opponent playing the sitting in a bottle. So, okay, Nass Asp. So Nas Asp is a 1-1 one, one, uh, Asp, uh, which would now be a, be a snake, but at the time it was an Asp. It uh, costs 1 green mana. Um, if it inflicts damage on your opponent, um, your opponent has to spend 1 before their next draw phase, or they lose an additional life. So the idea is, if I hit you, you have to quick get an antidote, or otherwise it does extra damage. So green for a 2-1 would be pretty powerful. In the day, it was pretty powerful. So the idea was it was kind of like a 2-1, except your opponent had a buyout to prevent one of the damage. Um, interestingly, though, you had just had to pay before your next draw step, so you did get to untap. So it wasn't like I had to save it if it hit me. If it hit me just on my next turn, I could choose. Instead of taking damage, I could just pay the one mana. Okay, next, Oasis. So Oasis is a land that you tap to prevent one damage to any creature. So show the lack of development on the set. It's funny that Library of Alexandra allows you to tap to draw a card if you have seven cards. Oasis prevents one damage to a creature. And Library of Alexandria gets to tap for mana, and Oasis does not. Um, so, anyway. Uh, I believe if developed, uh, you, you might see the reverse being true, for example, where Oasis taps for mana and Library of Alexandria doesn't tap for mana. Although if there was development, maybe Library of Alexandria wouldn't leave as is. Um... Okay, next. Oh, anything else about Oasis? Um, I talked before about the lands, that Richard was definitely experimenting with lands and seeing what lands could do. Um, okay, but next card in question is Old Man of the Sea. One of my favorites. Uh, one blue blue, so three mana for a two-three creature. Um, so what happened was you could tap Old Man of the Sea um, to, to, to take control of any creature whose power was no greater than it. So it was a 2-3, so you could steal anything that had power 2 or less. Now, you could enhance it, you make it bigger, and then you could steal bigger things. And as long as this stayed tapped, you gained control of that. Um, the old man in the sea in the, in the stories was um, this creature, uh, was a, um, a, a Merid, which is what his creature type is, that um, he would latch onto your back, and there was, he, would, he, would cl- he would hold on really tight, and there was no way to get him off. And while he was on your back, he, you know, he could, he could sort of steer where you would go, and so um, he was a, you know, it would be a horrible thing to get a merit on your back. Um, but anyway, that is Old Man of the Sea. This card, another card, one of those cards that was like, it's funny, because some cards kind of stand the test of time, usually has to do with their power level, and some, like, in their day were very popular, and then just kind of lose steam over the years. Old Man of the Sea, in its day, was a pretty popular card. I think this was the first card that let you steal things, um... Uh, I mean, there was uh, control magics and things, but this is the first thing that was a creature that could steal something and then let that go and then steal a different thing. Um, sort of repeatable stealing, if you will. Okay, next, Oubliette. Oubliette was one black, black, three mana for an enchantment. Um, when it came into play, you chose a creature, and then you... It said it said you removed it from the game, but uh, you exile it nowadays. Um, and, but the weird thing about Oubliette was anything that was attached to it would go with it. So if you had, at the time, if you had auras on it, the auras went with the creature that got oubliated. And if the oubliette ever got destroyed, then it would come back 
um, but with all the things that had been on it. So oubliette, for those who don't know, a good word here, is a type of prison. So you're being put in a prison. Uh, I mean, if you look at the picture, it shows that, obviously. Um, so you're being locked away in a prison. That's what's going on flavor-wise. Um, so this is the first card that I remember that really messes around with uh, remove from game, with the exile zone. Uh, it, it is also a card that sort of, I mean, well, I take it back. Swords of Plowshares, which was an alpha, removed things. But this is the first time that the idea that using it as a hiatus, that I take it, I, I put you there, but you have the means to come back. That's the first card that did that. Um, and that obviously would have a lot of influence down the road. Next, Piety. Piety costs two and, a, two and a white, so three mana for an instant. All defending creatures get plus zero, plus three. So this is another example of one of the things about early magic that you can see is as they were trying to find out just the idea of what really was valuable and what wasn't. You know, plus zero for three mana, plus zero, plus three, wait, wait, but only to defending creatures. Um, it's pretty, pretty weak. And I think a lot of that is just, it took a while to sort of understand, you know, it, it is funny in a world in which, right, Lobby Alexandria lets you draw two cards, personally draw two cards a turn, in the same set with the cards that, like, you know, I mean, the A, ma- magic in general, there's always a wide range of what you can do. There's good cards and bad cards. But just, like, in modern day, this card, this is probably super, super high for the effect it is. I mean, it... If we did the card today, it wouldn't... It, it, you could use your creatures any time, not the defending creatures. Um, would not cost three mana. Um, but anyway, it, it's a good example of a card that kind of shows the diversity of sort of how many... It's a very unmemorable card versus some of the other memorable cards I've talked about. Pyramids. Oh, pyramids. This is one of those cards that you always, like, as a designer, um, like, one day... Uh, you know, you, we, we want to someday, you know, we, we've done top-down worlds. One day we'll probably do a top-down Egyptian world. And that day, like, you really want to do pyramids. And like, oh, we, we did pyramids. Um, and they're kind of lackluster. Um, so it costs six. For two, you can prevent a land from being destroyed or remove an enchantment from a land. So the idea was it protects lands. Now, in the day, you got to remember, land destruction was pretty aggressive. Black, green, and red all got land destruction. Um, black had a two-mana land destruction. So there were very, very effective land destruction decks. Um, the biggest problem, though, is if you want to make a card to protect people from land destruction, I'm not sure costing six mana was probably the correct way to go. So the intent was good, the flavor was good. I think Richard thought, oh, well, the pyramids are a pretty big thing. They can't be cheap. Uh, I mean, maybe this card shouldn't be a pyramid, but um, anyway, it never really saw much play. Next, Repent Blacksmith. One in a, one in a white for one, two, protection from red. Uh, so the flavor clearly is he's a blacksmith, so he is immune to fire. Um, and uh, I don't know, I mean, uh, I mean, protection had begun in the base set. It took a little while to fi- understand how protection worked, um, but that, uh, I don't know, I mean, this, this card is a pretty straightforward card. I mean, once again, 1-2, is you, you can see that the creatures are, are a little on the weak side early on. Okay, next is the Ring of Maruf. Um, so it costs 5 mana. And then it costs five to activate. It's a mono artifact, so taps. Uh, instead of drawing a card from the top of your library, select one of your cards from outside the game. Dun, dun, dun. So this is the very first wish. In fact, this is the card that inspired the wishes. Um, the idea of this card is that I could wish for something. That I, you know, what do I want? I want thing X. Okay, next, Rook Egg. So Rook Egg costs, um, is it two in red? 
three in red uh, for a zero three creature. Uh, and then when it died, it became you got a token, a four four flying rook creature. So the idea was it was a little egg. Um, so the, one of the funny things about this card was when it first came in, um, it was unclear. The flavor was supposed to be you put it in a play, and when it dies, you get a rook. Um, but the original wording was vague enough that there were some people who felt that if you discarded it, you could get the rook. If you just got rid of it, you know, if you just went to the graveyard anyway. Um, and then we had to put, our, we actually had to put our, one of our earlier rod and say, no, 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 that's not how it works. You have to play it. Um, but rook egg definitely was a very valuable card. Um, okay, next, gender saddlebags. So gender saddlebags are, uh, I'm sorry, not, I, not gender saddlebags, sandals of Abdallah. I can't read. Sandals of Adala cost four mana, and for two, you give one creature, it says, island walk until end of turn. And then if that creature is destroyed, you lose the shoes as well. Flying Carpet had the same rider. Like, it's special. There's, it's us, it was Richard trying to do early equipment, um, and the idea essentially is that, you know, you put it out, and you can use it, but if something happens to the creature wearing it, well, then you lose it. Um, as you can see, island walk was super fun. Everybody loved giving island walk. That's a very... You know, there's multiple cards in this set alone. Only 78 cards in the set, and multiple cards give you Island Walk. Sandstorm. Sandstorm is a green uh, instant, and all attacking creatures get one damage. Um, like I said, green early on was a little more aggressive in hurting creatures. It's something we definitely toned back on. Um, this is one of those cards that people keep arguing, maybe should green do this? Should green have a little more defense? Um, the thing that my sort of guidance for green is, uh, if green has no creatures in its deck, if it's just a mono-green, creatureless deck, green should have trouble with creatures. The, green, the way it deals with creatures is supposed to be creatures, not through use of its spells. Okay, next is Serendib Jin. So Serendib Jin costs two blue-blue, so four mana for a five-five flying creature. And then during your upkeep, uh, you choose one of, your non one of your own lands and destroy it. Um... And if you destroy an island in this matter, it does three damage. So the, the Serenity of Jinn doesn't like destroying islands. And so every turn you have to destroy an island, you have to destroy a land, but if you destroy an island, it does three damage to you. But it's a 5-5 five, five flyer for four. So, uh, like I said, once again, the Jinns and the Freed mostly are um, good bodies, but they come with a cost. Speaking of which, we get to Serenity of Freed, which is probably, probably the most powerful of the Jinns and the Freeds. Um, so it's two and a blue, so three mana for a three-four flying creature and it does one damage to you every upkeep. So it's kind of like Juzam Jin, except it costs one mana less. Uh, it has one power less, but it flies. Um, Serenity of Freed is definitely one of the most powerful um, creatures in the set. And um, this is the one that got reprinted, but had the wrong artwork and frame. They had the if-biff artwork and frame on it. Scheherazade. So Scheherazade costs two white mana. It's a sorcery. You stop what you're doing. You... Um, you take your cards that aren't in play, you take your, your library, and you play a sub-game with those cards. And then, um, what happens if you win the sub-game? I'm trying to remember. Uh, what happens? Uh, I remember. Um, but the, the general gist of it is... Um, that you play a sub-game and that... Uh, the, what happens to the win of the sub-game? Um, oh, half, you lose half your life. So you play a sub-game, meaning you take your library, you leave your game as is, play another game 
with the cards you have left in your library. Whoever wins that little sub-game, you then bring your cards back, shuffle your libraries, and you re re return to your original game, but that game, the loser of the sub-game loses half of their life. Um, so Scheherazade is the person, the framing story, uh, in A Thousand One Nights, the framing story, because really the book was telling lots of different Arabian fables and tales and stuff, was uh, sort of a woman who, there's a king who every night gets a wife, uh, enjoys, enjoys having the wife for one night, and then he kills her the next day. Um, and Scheherazade decided to survive this, tells uh, a story to him, but leaves it to be continued. And he, he, um, each night he leaves her alive because he wants to hear the tale the next night. And her tales are the thousand and one Raven Nights. So the idea of stories within stories inspired Richard, so he made games within games. Um, and this card definitely is a very interesting card. It's a very unique card. Um, only the unsets really have messed around with doing sub-games again. Um, it's something, this card is banned and vintage just because it takes too long for things to play. Um, but it's a very inventive card, probably one of the coolest, maybe, maybe even the coolest card of, of this set. It's Richard's favorite card from Arabian Nights. When you ask Richard what his favorite Arabian Nights card, he always says Shahrazad. Um, and maybe just because it's both flavorful and very, very different. It's something that Magic had never, I mean, it, it was really out there. Next is Sinbad. Sinbad costs one and a blue. It's a 1-1 creature. You can tap him to draw a, a card from your library, um, but then you reveal it, and if it's not a land, you have to discard it. So essentially, he gets, you, he gets free land for you, but only land, and obviously, you know, you're going to miss some of the time. Um, so, you know, 40% for, for, for of the time, you get to draw a land. Okay, next is Singing Tree. Uh, it's a tree. It's, uh, originally, the Summon Singing Tree. I think now it's a plant. Um, three and a green for a zero, three, and you can tap it to reduce target attacking creature's power to zero. So this thing was pretty powerful, because you got it out, and then it kind of neutralized the most powerful creature of your opponent. Um, you would see Maze of Ith would later do this. Maze of Ith was a little more powerful only because it was a land and it didn't cost, any, it didn't cost anything to put into play, where Singing Tree did. Also, uh, Singing Tree is a creature, and destroying creatures is just easier destroying land. So this was kind of the precursor to Maze of Ith, um, which was a, a, a popular card at the time. I mean, Singing Tree. I guess Maze of Ith was too. Next, we get to Sorcerer's Queen. So Sorcerer's Queen costs one black black for a 1-1 one, one creature. Um... And you could tap it to turn any creature into a 0-2 creature. Um, I think as long as this remained tapped. Let's see. Um, oh, no, until end of turn. So it turned things into 0-2 creatures until end of turn. This was, I think, the earliest of messing with resetting power and toughness. I think that's the card that did this first. I don't think Richard did that in Alpha. Um, next we get to Stone Throwing Devils. Black for a first strike 1-1 one, one creature. So it turns out, by the way, um, Magic tries very, very hard not to do this, but it turns out the Stone Throwing Devils is a very obscure racial slur. So one of the things is you will not ever see Stone Throwing Devils reprinted. Um, it's a huge mistake. We, we didn't realize at the time that it was a slur, and so it's something we will not uh, reprint or redo. Um, and uh, Any apologies, obviously, we didn't realize at the time we printed it, that's what it that it had that connotation. It's a very obscure connotation, so it was not something easily discovered. But, um, but anyway, it's a black first striker. Um, early on in the game, black... Uh, Richard had put first strike on the black knight, and black knight was very iconic. So early magic had a lot more first strike going on in black. We've since really dialed that down. Black has first strike only tertiary, so you just don't see a lot of first striking in black anymore. Next, unstable mutation. Uh, it's an enchant creature. costs one... Uh, you know, Chapman, um, enchant creature. costs one blue mana. 
target creature gets plus three, plus three, and then each, uh, at the beginning of each turn, you put a minus one, minus one counter on it. So, like, I used to play this in my white, my blue-green weenie deck. So I had a flying man. He's a 1-1. One, one. I put this on it. He's a 4-4 four, four for that turn. Then he's a 3-3, three, three, then a 2-2, two, two, then a 1-1, one, one, then he's dead. Um, but in a deck where I'm trying to beat you really fast and I'm giant-growthing and berserking and doing crazy things, um, this allowed you, in blue, to grow really big really fast. Um, this ability now, by the way, if we did it, would be in red, not in blue. Next, War Elephant. Three in white for a 2-2 two, two creature with trample and bands. Um, so this is, the, uh, another, uh, or the elephant, I think the elephant of the set. Um, but it's banding, so, uh, it's a trample bander. Um, trample and banding, the rules of the time, banding and trample, the rules kept changing over time. Um, there was a period in time, though, where banding and trample worked well together, because you took all the damage, and you got to assign how it does, so you could sort of, uh, uh assign what you needed to, and then trample over. There, there was a lot of weird rules with trample early on, um, so, anyway, I, I think there's a quirky period of time where banding and trample allowed you to sign just one damage and trample all the rest over. Um, but that was a small blip in time. Next, Wailuli Wolf. So, Wailuli Wolf uh, costs one green mana. It's uh, a 1-1. One, one. Um, so, Wailuli Wolf uh, is an anagram of Lily Wu. L-I-L-Y-W-U. So, Lily Wu was the maiden name of Richard's first wife. Um, and uh, this card was a little nod to her. Um, so what the card did was you could tap it to give any creature plus one, plus one to end a turn. Um, and so it, it was a little boost. Um, this ability now, um, green does it sometimes. Also white, white ended up doing this ability a little more than green. Um, this was another uh, card that falls in the category of a common card that also got reprinted as a rare. Um, so this card was common in Arabian Nights and thus could be reprinted because it was a common. Uh, and then in some of the base sets, at least one of them, the core sets, we put it in and put it at rare. Um, and uh, this is definitely... Um, the art is also pretty iconic. This is Susan Van Camp. Um, this is one, uh, just one of those pieces that... Uh, one of the first pieces done by Susan Van Camp. And I don't know, it was just very popular. People like this card. Um, and then we end with the Idwin of Freed. So a red, red, red for the 3-6... And if you choose to block with it, you have to flip a coin. And if you can't, then it gets, um, it, it can't block. So, uh, yeah, the, one of the things that Richard did is there was the, the cycle, the four-color cycle of um, Jins and Freeds. Um, sometimes they connected to each other like the red ones did. Other times they kind of just did their own thing. Um, so th- there was a little, some, some connection. I, I think Richard loved the idea of taking his friend Jamie and Wendy and c- combining them, so... Uh, and he, he came up with a pair that made sense that, you know, one had a flip coin to attack, one to block, so. Anyway, I'm almost to work, so that, my friends, is the wrap-up of Arabian Nights. So, uh, I think one of the things that's exciting is, um, I mean, Arabian Nights, you can see some, a lot of the roughness around the edges. Part of that is the set was done so quickly. Part of that was early magic, just Richard, you know, Richard was a lot more focused on matching the philosophy of the colors and necessarily lining up all the mechanics. That that took a little bit of time to sort of figure out um, that, uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of, of, of realizing what exactly, um, what colors wanted to do what. Um, and uh, I, I think one of the things we realized over time was that things were, things were better off if... Um, 
uh, not every color could do everything and that we, we divvied up more what things could do and that when, if you wanted to do a particular thing, you had to go to a particular color, that just made for better gameplay. And so you, you, you as, as we refined over the years, you could see us sort of figuring out where's the best place to put each mechanic and making sure that when we had similar mechanics, we gave slightly different tweaks. You know, black doesn't block where red must attack, where they're similar but slightly different to give each color flavors and to, to delineate them from one another. But anyway, my friends, that is the very first expansion, Arabian Nights, in all its glory. Um, I don't have the ability to go through every card in every set, but when your set has 78 cards, I can. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this little jaunt through history and uh, had a little traffic today, so a little extra time for you. Uh, but I'm now parked in the parking space, which means, as we all know, Oh, you all know what that means. <laughs> it's time to end my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'll talk to you next time.